Thank you for coming. Just stand with no camera to shut off. I know you gotta stand and make it a lot easier. Um, first of all, today's class is dedicated, and it's a tremendous honor for it to be dedicated in memory of Isaac Masriel of Shalom, who passed away many years ago. He was my, I think my mother's uncle, the right way to say it. And he was really very close to my grandfather. They worked together on a lot of things, but he was a humble man who loved shul, loved Torah, knew the Pismonim book inside and out, was committed to it, was committed to making people happy and comfortable in shul, food, young people. He worked, he had Tehillim on him 24-7 and had such great traditions that I think is what helped build the foundation of the success of his family and his family. But Hashem has been successful in so many ways of building a beautiful family, building shoes and being involved in Hillel and BSN and Lantra shoes and so much more. And it's also a tremendous honor because it's dedicated by his son, Danny Masri, who my mother's cousin I grew up looking up to and being excited about. And I can't believe that Danny became such an avid listener to the class. And Danny, I thank you very much. And when I bumped into you at a wedding a few months ago, you basically told me how you listened to every single class and I couldn't believe it and I still can't believe it. So I'm very honored by you and your participation, your support, and how the Torah today should be a tremendous elevation for your father who did so much and is looking down at the so much more that's been created since his passing by his family, children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. So without that shame, how the Torah today should be an elevation for his neshama. Amen. Well, I want to thank every one of you for coming today because I always find the Wednesday after Tisha B'Av is the most difficult class for me to give. And I also find like it's the most difficult class to come to. It just came, five, six hundred of you came to a class only three days ago. If you were to come again and you came three days before that to come again is a um, tremendous honor. So thank you very much for pretty much hearing our voice for a week straight. Now I'm going to tell you what the topic of today's class is, but first I'm going to tell you what I wish I was doing the topic on and I may do it on next week. Because apparently there's something that's making news over the past two or three days that everyone is, or a lot of people are starting to watch that probably needs a class. But I'm not prepared enough, I do not plan on watching it, I'll tell you in advance, God forbid it's not for rabbis. I don't know if it's for anybody. Um, I guess it's called my unorthodox family or something like that. And maybe there are points that need to be addressed so that everyone in our community doesn't walk around and think that Hasidim are aliens. So again, not prepared enough to discuss it, but if I may talk about it next week. I don't know, what do you think? Should I say tonight? Yes. I got no emotions yet. I got no, no opinion. I should. Don't tell me you watched it. You watched it? No, okay, good. This road doesn't know what it is. No, I understand. That road does not know what it is. Okay. Again, I don't know if I will, but we may. Instead, here's what we're going to talk about today. We're a few days away from Tuba'av. Tuba'av is a time where historically it's discussed in the Gemara being a time to meet and to marry, I'm not going to talk about meeting or dating because we've done that class a lot in the past. 
But thinking about that topic inspired me to this question, that actually a few months ago, someone came and wanted to speak to me about it. She's not worried about her kids getting married. They got married. And you have the process happens to a lot of people. You wait a while, finally your daughters tell you they're dating, or your sons tell you he's dating, and then he's dating, and then you find someone, and you're so excited, and you can't believe it, and you're so thankful, and you march down the aisle. And then you get to know the guy or girl that they chose. And what sometimes happens is then you look back after they marry with kids and are God forbid disappointed by the choice. And this person came to me and said, Rabbi, what do I do? I'm disappointed by the choice. I said, how many years ago they got married? Like 20. I said, you still worry about that? Maybe it's 15, I don't know. And, and she said, yeah, I'm still disappointed. I still feel bad. And so, I figured the idea of being disappointed and disappointed about your choice or disappointed about your children's choice in marriage or disappointed about any decision that happened in the past, I think has a lot of lessons within it. This is not really so much about marriage, it is a little bit, but it's also more about a general disappointment with past decisions. And I think I can categorize it in three ways when it comes to marriage. You can be disappointed in your kid's decision when you later on find out that your child is unhappy. You can sometimes be disappointed in your kid's decision even when you later on find out that your child is happy. And you can be disappointed in your kid's decision when your child is happy but you think they shouldn't be happy. So all three of those, um, Again, I'm not going to address them one at a time. This is not a class about marriage so much, but it is about this thought process. Someone made a decision. She could have married anybody, she tells me. Her daughter, her daughter could have married anybody, and this is the person she ended up with. Okay. Our parashah begins, parashah by Tanan, with Moshe Rabbeinu's extensive prayers to enter into Eretz Yisrael. Hashem already decreed that he's not going in, the Jewish people aren't going in, after all the people that left Egypt, and Moshe and Aaron are also not going in. Aaron already passed away, and Moshe Rabbeinu prays, our rabbis say, 515 prayers to be able to enter into the land of Israel. And then he says the words, I want to go across and see the country. I have a bunch of questions. Why was Moshe Rabbeinu not answered? Do prayers ever fail? When he says, I want to see, does he want to go there or does he want to see it? Which one is it? And what would seeing it even help? So hopefully we'll answer these questions in a few minutes. Here's my first point. When you have a decision that you made that has consequences that you don't like, you absolutely can't look back. Because the reality is, if you ask anybody, to be honest, everyone has decisions that they made that they regret. Everybody. Everybody has something they decided 5, 10, 15, 20, even 30 years ago that they maybe got involved in, maybe a job they accepted, or a relationship, or a partnership, 
and something that they did that they regret. It happens all over the place, all the time. And you have to be able to not look back. And I want to explain it just a little bit. If you think about this about Moshe Rabbeinu, and I just wanted to give con context and a little bit of humanize the story. Moshe Rabbeinu finally became the leader of the Jewish people in his 80. He takes the Jewish people out of Egypt, performs all the miracles with really one goal, to get them into the land of Israel. He does everything that's needed, 10 plays, puts a seat, Kriyayan Suf, Kos, Matan Torah. The Jewish people are about to go in, they make mistakes, they make sins that delay the process by 40 years. 40 years, so that means he thought he was going in in 1981. And he then said, I would have to now wait 40 years. And he diligently guides them, watches them, protects them for 40 years. Now it's 2021, ready to go in. And he makes one small mistake. He hits the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And Hashem says, uh-uh, you're not going in. If I were him, the regret that I would have in my heart, I was right there. I, I, I could have spoken to the rock. In impulse, I hit the rock. It was a split second decision. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe the mistake I made. I'll just be burning inside over my mistake. Burning inside over the fact that I made that one move. How'd I do that? And the truth is, there's others who can do the same. When God spoke to Abraham Avinu and told them he's going to give his children are going to be the chosen nation and he's going to take them into Eretz Yisrael, Abraham Avinu asked the question, how do I know? Says the Gemara, those two words that Abraham Avinu asked, God then said, now your children are going to be in bondage for 400 years. If I was the great Abraham Avinu, I would have been standing there and saying, if only I didn't say two words, I could have saved my children from 400 years of exile, 400 years, just because of two words. How much regret would I have? I'm the greatest man to ever live at that time. I'm Abraham Avinu. I'm God is blessing you and everything. But if I just didn't say those two words, I could have saved everything. The Gemara also writes, that Yaakov Avinu gave his son a coat. Says the Gemara, one good coat that he gave his son caused our nation to go into Egypt into bondage because that coat created jealousy amongst the brothers and the rest is history. They were thrown in a pit, sold to Egypt, and our whole nation went down. Again, if I was Yaakov, I would say, just if only I, that morning he said, ah, forget it, don't give him the gift. Keep it home. Could have saved my whole family's future. And there's so many examples like this. The sin of the ego. Why did the sin of the ego happen? Every little kid knows, but I don't know if any, every little kid ever thought about it. That the Jewish people thought that the 40 days ended a day earlier. So they thought Moshe Rabbein was supposed to come back that day. And because of that, they built an ego. If I was Moshe Rabbein, I would have said, you know what, if only I clarified it. Imagine if before I went up, I would say, no, no, 40 days is this day, not that day, it's this day. One more sentence, I could have saved the greatest sin of all time. So the reality is, I'm showing you from the greatest 
people to ever live. They could also have looked back at their life and said, if only I didn't say those two words, if only I didn't give that gift, if only I used one more sentence to clarify the story, if only I didn't impulsively hit the rock, if only I didn't make that move, everything would be different. Yet you never see them talk about regrets. You never see them say, if only. You never see Moshe Rabbeinu say, God, I'm so sorry, I should have clarified. You never see it. Because you can't live that way. You can't live life living in if only. It's the most destructive, frustrating, upsetting way to live. So I'm not just talking about when your kid marries, I'm just an example. I'm talking about any decision that you have in your life that has an if only attached to it. Something where you say, you know what, 20 years ago, if I could have done this, that's toxic. It's dangerous and it only hurts you. You can't live that way. And I'll try to explain why in a minute, but you can't live that way. I'm going to give you another cute little example of why you can't live that way. You know, they tell you, by the way, that, you know, that person ended their life, they're on their deathbed, they say, I have no regrets. I'll give you my humble opinion. They're all lying. Everyone has regrets. Everyone does. Everyone has some regrets. Don't tell me you have no regrets. This doesn't make sense. You might say you're at peace with yourself right now, and that makes sense. But no regrets is not true. But anyway, I'll give you a little example. So, if you come to this class a lot, you know I, I like sports, so I, I used to like sports. I currently hate sports. I'll tell you what, it happened a month ago, where I decided I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. This is, I, there's a basketball team I like, they're from Brooklyn, and they were, never won the championship ever, in 50 years or more. Finally, they had a team that everyone said is going to win the championship. They had the best team. And on a Saturday night, a little over a month ago, they were in the second round of the playoffs and they were playing game seven. If they win that game in all likelihood, they're going to eventually win the championship. Everyone agrees. They're playing game seven. I turn on the radio at my house on Saturday night, first Saturday night deal. I'm excited, first weekend the deal, everything's great. I turn on the last, the end of the fourth quarter. The Nets, this team, is down by two points. Okay? And the player on the team, the best player on the team, maybe the best player in the NBA, takes a shot with one second left, a three-pointer. They're down by two. You take a three-pointer, you win the game. Game seven means you win the round. You go to the next series, it's gonna be easy, the next one is gonna be easy, all done. The referees did a replay and they watched that the guy's foot was one inch over the line. So instead of it being here, it was here. You see my foot? Literally, instead of being here, it was here. And because he was touching the line, it's only a two-pointer, ties the game, they go into overtime, they lose it overtime, they lose the series, and they're knocked out. And I was so upset. I said, if only his foot was behind the line, if only like a certain inch, one inch. I kept showing my kids, like, guys, I'm upset. Why are you upset at that? Because if only one inch, like, I found every line I could find on the floor in my house. I'm like, if he just did that, just that, that, just that, only that, could 
three. They never won a championship, and this was going to be the year. And they win that game, but all like the they win the championship. The team that lost to won the championship. They were we sure it's all done. And afterwards, I said, I can't keep caring about this anymore. I'm going to live with it only, not a guy's three-pointer. I have enough if onlys to deal with myself. I don't want to add if onlys to me. I don't want to add that frustration. Literally, I shut it off. I said, I'm done. Yankees lose, I'm kidding. Because we have this frustration that sticks with you when you have a move you made, a decision you made, an action you did. Someone ever got into a car accident, God forbid. You're like, oh, I wasn't even supposed to go down the block. Or I wasn't why I looked that way. We all have that, and sometimes people have it in very catastrophic ways. You can't live with if only. I'm going to turn to David HaMelech to hopefully guide us through this. And I've quoted this before. David HaMelech had brought a woman named Batsheva to his house and he married her. According to all opinions, there was something he shouldn't have done. What the level of the sin was is definitely not for this forum, but there was something he shouldn't have done. And then Nabi comes to David HaMelech and rebukes him and tells him there's going to be a punishment for them, what, what you did. And a little baby is born. And then the baby becomes very sick. And the Basuk writes that David HaMelech realizes the baby is in critical condition that he has from Bathsheban. He starts to fast. He sits on the ground. He sleeps on the ground. He won't get up. His servants say, okay, our master, get up, get up. He won't get up. They try to feed him. He won't eat. He's on the floor, a mess, hoping that this kid is going to live. After seven days of this, the baby passes away. So the servants know how messed up that he was and how upset he was that for him to live. Now that he passed away, no one wants to tell David what happened. No one wants to tell him what's going on. So they're all quiet and they're all silent. From the way they're acting, he could tell that it already happened. He says, the baby died, right? They said, yeah. He stands up, gets dressed, cleans himself up, sits down, gets ready to eat. And they're like, what are you doing? When he was alive, he was sitting on the floor, crying, praying, fasting. Now he passed away. It's much worse. You should look much worse. And his answer is critical to our point today. His answer was, as long as he was alive, my job was to hope and to pray and to grow. Once he was taken, my job is to accept. And here's why I think that story is so critical, because that was a consequence of David's mistake. He caused it. So if he should have sat there and said, if only, if only, if only. But he understood that once it happens, my job is to accept it. Because as a believing Jew, this is the way we live. We live by believing before anything happens that I am in control and I have to do everything my possible to make the outcome the way I want it to be. But once it happens, I have to act as if it was a fait accompli. I have to act as if 
It was predetermined to be that way. But you say, one second, don't we have free will? You don't understand free will. At what Hashem's size, that whole topic is impossible to understand fully for regular, normal people. So here's the mindset. Before it's happening, it's up to me. I have to make the right decisions, pray the right way, work the right way, do the right thing. Once it happens, that's what Hashem decided. But what do you mean? If I did, I don't know. If I did, if I could have. That's just toxic thinking. That being a male's thought process was, as long as it's in my power, I can do something, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna cry, I'm gonna try to do everything I can to change the result. Once the result happens, I'm accepting it as if it was a decree from God that was always gonna happen. But what do you mean it was your fault? If only you did, I'm not thinking that way. It's the only way for a person to live a healthy life. Before you're doing it, I have to make the right decision. I have to get the right guidance. Everything it takes to get the right result. Once it happens, God decided it to happen. You might say, oh, but you're just pacifying yourself. I don't know what you're doing. The bottom line is, is it's the only way to move forward. That's what God decided. That's who I was supposed to marry. That's who my daughter was supposed to marry. That's who my son was supposed to marry. That's the job they were supposed to take. That's where they belonged. Before, up to me. Afterwards, God decided it. Even though I know that really you did it, God decided it. Accept it as if it was completely a decision from God because nobody knows what was really going to happen. At the end of the day, Hashem was setting up the ego. It wasn't because Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say one extra sentence that the ego happened. And it wasn't because Abraham Aminu said two extra words that we were in bondage for 400 years. And it wasn't because Yaakov Aminu accidentally gave one son a coat and didn't give the other 11 that there was strife in his family. It wasn't because of those things. It wasn't just because Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock that he didn't go into Eretz Israel. Those were the moves that made, that caused it, but at the end of the day, it was good. that's how Hashem wanted it to be. And if you're saying, one second, Rabbi, you're confusing me. I know it's confusing, but it's the only simple way to have a healthy thought process. Before, it's up to me. Afterwards, that's what God wanted. But you can't just stop there and say, okay, that's what God wanted, came over. The next step is now. You're stuck in something. That's a consequence of a mistake you made or of a result that you created or a result that you didn't create. But bottom line is you're stuck in a consequence and you can't believe you're living this way. Now you have to pray and work to make it great. Don't just stop. And whatever's still in your power, you have to pray for, which is what Moshe Rabbeinu is doing now. He's going to pray 515 prayers to try and make it great. And here's what he is. He says, God, I'm asking two things, Hashem. I'm asking to go into the land, because if I lead the Jewish people into the land, it'll help the entire nation. And I'm asking to see the land. Let me pass over and see his two requests. Let me pass over for the people and let me see for myself. Because both of those things are powerful things. Being there is powerful, and seeing it is also powerful. Because when God told Abraham Avinu, you're going to have a nation, and you're going to have the land of Israel, Hashem told him those two things. First of all, open up your eyes, pick up your eyes, and see it. And then, then go into the land, the land, the width of the land, and go and experience it. There are two blessings. See it, and have it. Moshe Rabbeinu was asking, can I have both? I want to be there and I want to see it. God said, I won't give you the request of being there, but I will let you go and see it. 
So after all that, he got some. He got more than maybe he thought he was going to get. And I think that this is critical. You could sit there and wallow in what if, or as they say, don't worry about whether you made the right decision. Rather worry about how do you make the decision right. Means now that I made the decision, how do I make it work? So you could sit there and say, what if and what if, or you could say, you know what? I chose this house on this block. This is what I chose. How do I make it great? No, I should have chose the other one. I made a mistake. Just get out of that head. How do I make it great? Because your what if head is distracting you from the making it great head. And it's distracting you from the moving forward head. And the problem is when your brain tells you the what if, you keep making replays in your head. If only this happened, very often those what ifs are complete lies. I know someone who once wanted to date another girl and eventually dated his wife and married her, but the other girl has very handsome kids. So he looks at the other girl's kids, he's like, wow, if I married that girl, I would have handsome kids. No, no, she had handsome kids because she married that guy. If she married ugly you, she'd have you kind of kids. Your what if is lying to you. Your replay in your head is lying to you because very often you just replace one component of it and don't replace the whole picture. So you had this one who said, if only my daughter's marrying wealthy people. So she said to me, if only they're marrying wealthy people. So I don't know, if they married wealthy people, I don't know what could have happened. Maybe someone would have moved away. Maybe he wouldn't relate to you so much. Maybe he wouldn't be close to you so much. There's a lot of things. You can't just replace one piece and expect everything else to stay the same besides the one piece you want to replace. That's not how life goes. You replace one piece and a lot of things change. So who knows what would have changed? I asked, are they happy? She says, yeah, they're happy. I said, they're productive. She says, yeah, they're productive. I said, so what's wrong? 15 years, you're worrying about something and everything's fine? But you don't know that why they would have had a much nicer car if she if he married if she married the right guy. You're just replacing the car. You don't realize the relationship, you don't realize the marriage, you don't realize a hundred other things that could have been affected by that what if, that what if that you're putting in yourself. Whatever you add, the what if, to take the same picture and just add that one piece, you're lying to yourself. Because life doesn't work when you just stick in your convenient piece and everything else stays the same. Very often that piece changes the whole world and changes the whole life. Which I think my point is this, and I think this is critical after everything we said. When you have been in a position in your life that are results of decisions you made, you need to re-choose your life. Re-choose your life. Let's say someone's in a marriage, and I don't know if they would start again, or they choose the same guy, they're not sure. Re-choose your marriage. What does that mean, re-choose your marriage? You say to yourself, based on the situation I'm in, based on the fact that I have three kids with this guy, based on the fact that I like his parents, and I'm choosing it now again. But maybe you wouldn't have chosen that, that's not the point. Right now, I'm choosing it again. When you re-choose it, instead of surviving in it, and being frustrated and living with all the what-ifs you said, from this point forward, I'm making a choice to embrace this. 
because of where I am, because of what the stories that I have, because of where I am today, I'm choosing this. Because you can hear a million what ifs your whole life. If you were a foot taller, you maybe everything else would have been different when you were born. Don't what if yourself to death. Just re-choose from here. Because very often people are in this middle type marriage and you want to go over to them and say, stop. Look at the whole circumstance, where you are right now. You're 43 years old. This is where you are today. Look at the marriage exactly where you are today and decide if you want to choose it again. Maybe you want to choose it again just because you don't want to go for a divorce, whatever the reason is. But right now, decide if you're going to choose it again. And when you choose it again, it becomes a whole different experience. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, I'm not sure if I'm clarifying it enough, but it's critical you do it. You're in a job, you're in a position, you're in a house. You say, because I don't want to sell and do, I'm re-choosing this. And you re-embrace it. Instead of being paralyzed with the past, you move forward in a powerful, powerful way. You see, God told Moshe Rabbeinu the words after he was praying, stop praying, Rav Lach, there's a lot to you. What does it mean, Rav Lach, there's a lot to you? Says Rashi, you have so much Olam Haba that's coming. You have so much reward in the world to come that's coming. What does that mean? What it means to say, Moshe Rabbeinu, you're so obsessing over this one piece to enter the land of Israel. You're so obsessed over this thing that you're not accepting the whole picture. You're the greatest man to ever live. You're Moshe Rabbeinu. You're a complete success. Your Allah Habai is eternal and the greatest in the world. Yes, I'm not giving you this, but don't stay focused on the one piece you're not getting. Instead, focus on the whole picture that you are getting. Don't live with what is. Replays our lies. When you move forward, it was all from Hashem. And we choose your life. But I want to now say one thing about Nasi. Because I think this part is very important. And we are going into that season. And hopefully in the next month, many boys and many girls will meet each other in this community and start dating and Inshallah, I get married. Because that Hashem will be a lot of beracha in the next few weeks. Tis the season, as they say. It's the summer. The few weeks are over, and Bezat Hashem, hopefully, will lead to a lot of beracha. When someone is married, they need to know what the word nasib means, because most people have the wrong definition. They think my nasib is the person that I must spend my whole happy, wonderful life together with. That's not what it says. There's a Gemara, and this is important. Amar Rav, Rav says, Mishum in the name of another rabbi whose name you almost never ever hear in the Gemara. Rabbi Reuven ben Atzrubini. He says that the name of this rabbi, Reuven Atzrubini, never heard of this name before, I'm sure. He says, Mehashem Ishaveish, God puts man and woman together. I have a pasuk, says the Gemara, from the Torah, from the Nevi'im, and from the Ketubim. Stay with me here because I think the lesson is very important. From the Torah, what's the pasuk from the Torah? It's a parashat Sarah. When Eliezer comes to get a wife for Yitzchak Avinu, and he goes to the house of Betuel and the house of Laban, and he meets Rufka, and the whole story with Rufka, by young Laban and Betuel, Laban, Rufka's brother, and Betuel, her father, they both comment by Yomru, Mehashem Yatsa Dabar. This came from God. 
So clearly you see a pasuk in the Torah saying that it's from God. Yitzchak to Rivka is from Hashem. Nasib hears a marriage that's from Hashem. This is a good one, no? This is an easy one. Hashem, you agree that Yitzchak to Rivka is from Hashem? Gorgeous. There's a pasuk that the Gemara quotes a pasuk from the Ketuvim, from Mishlev. The pasuk says, Ume Hashem Isha Maskelet. From God comes a wise and great woman. A great woman, a great wise wife is from Hashem. Good pasuk, great pasuk. Now let me tell you the pasuk in Ibi. The pasuk in Ibi goes like this. There was a man who found a girl who doesn't seem like she was even Jewish. The Abibi and he comes and brings her to his parents. And his parents are like, what is this? Why marry this girl? This is a disaster. Nabi his mother and father didn't know, says the Nabi, Kimehashemhi. This girl is from Hashem. Who's this girl? Let me tell you this girl is. This girl is a person that this boy would marry for one week. By the end of the week, her father's house would be destroyed, she would be killed, and this man would kill many Pilishtim in the name of the fact that his wife was killed. This man's name, have you heard of him, is Shimshon. You heard of Shimshon? And this was his first wife. Shimshon's first wife was a Pilishtim woman that caused tremendous destruction from within the Pilishtim. The Pasuk says, and the Gemara quotes, says, Ki me this girl is from God. So again, Yitzchak and Rufka from Hashem, I love it. Mehashem Isham the wise wife is from Hashem, perfect. But Shimshon's not Jewish wife that died in a week that caused tremendous destruction, that's from Hashem? That's your quote for Nasi? That's your quote that God's the one who makes matches? Your example, your quote is from this probably the worst marriage in Tanakh? The answer is very simple. The answer is the end of the pasuk. Ki What does that mean? What that means is that every person is put on this earth for a purpose. Yitzchak Abidu's purpose is going to be accomplished with Rivka. Most men is going to their purpose can be accomplished with Mishama Skelet, with a wise wife. Shemshon's purpose was to kill Pilishtim. This wife was going to help him accomplish that purpose. Therefore, she was his nasib. Because his nasib doesn't mean the person who's going to make him smile the most. It doesn't mean the person who makes the best kibbeh. And it doesn't really mean the person who's going to be the easiest to raise children with. That's not what it means. It means the person you're going to accomplish your purpose with. That's what it means. And so this woman was the person who helped Shimshon accomplish his purpose. Therefore, that's Nasib. So my message to this mom, or to God forbid any mom who has that thought of, you know, if my wife or my son, if my daughter, if they did this, this would have been easier, this would have been changed. It's faulty thinking because they were put here for a purpose and that spouse is what's helping them achieve their purpose. What do you mean? It's making their life more difficult. Their life more difficult is their purpose. What do you mean? They're not as religious as they want to be. Well, marrying someone not religious somehow is going to help them achieve that purpose. 
going in again, you make it up to you. But once it happened already, it was up to Hashem, it was a fait accompli, and that's how I have to re-choose that and find a way to accomplish my purpose within it. That's the mindset. That's the mentality. Not the easiest marriage. The most purposeful marriage. The most my purposeful marriage. So when I tell that mother, you have these thoughts, you're thinking wrong. Because you're thinking about what would have been easiest for my children. That's not what God's thinking. God's thinking what's going to be the most productive and the most important for what your children are supposed to accomplish. It's a whole different story, a whole different narrative, a whole different game, and a whole different goal. So, I hope that the thought process we started with is one that's completely foreign to you. I hope that when you look at your family and look at all the decisions you've ever made in your life, from your marriage to your children's marriages to anything else, their jobs, or whatever else they're doing, you feel great about every decision. But the likelihood is that in some area of your life, there's a what if associated. And when that is in your thought process, all of these changes need to be made. I want to give you one great example. My brother is also Rabbi Nishur, Rabbi Moshe told me a story about the Chazonish. The Chazonish, I don't know if you heard of him, was probably one of the greatest rabbis of the 20th century. The Chazonish was one of the rabbis who helped rebuild Judaism in Israel when it became a country. The city of Benet Barak is basically founded on the ideals of the Chazonish. When the Chazonish was a young man, and dating to get married. And dating to get married. He found a girl that I guess people recommended to him and he dated her and got engaged to her. After he got engaged, he realized that she was old. Older than him. Significantly older than him. Significantly older. What's going on? Is this working or not working? In their works, up here it does. She was significantly older than him. And everyone said, break it off. She's like maybe even in her 40s. I don't know if she's about to have any children. He says, I don't want to hurt her feelings. I'm we're engaged already. I'm going to marry her. And he married her and had no children. The great Hazonish never had any children. But she was also not just older, she was a little Majnunian. She was a little crazy. That she drove him nuts. To the point that when people would come to see the great Hazanish at points, the greatest rabbi in Israel at the time, she would yell at them, scream at them, shut the door, kick them out of the house, and throw things at her husband. Throw pillows, blankets, soda cans, throw things at her husband. This is the story, true story from the stories. Throw things at her husband. In fact, they went to him and they said, Rabbi, how do you deal with it? He says, here's my thought process. My thought in my head is, up to 10 things thrown at me I could handle. So I count to 10. And then when she throws another thing, I say, am I going to get upset about one thing? So that's why I'm okay. But I heard the story and I said, one second, it's the Chazon Ish. 
literally one of the top five Jewish people of the 20th century, the Chazon Ish. And he was stuck with that. If I was him, I'd be what if every day. What do you mean? I, he could have built a family, he could have had a younger girl. This insulted him for two days. I'm sorry, you sketched me with your age. You're 10 years older than you told me. I feel bad for you. Here's a little gift. Here's, you know, go to the store, get yourself a gift to take care of yourself by a pocketbook. But you're out of here. That's what I would have done. Instead, he marries her, has no children, and accepts her driving him crazy for the rest of his life. Because he understood in some way that once I made the decision, this is from God. And my nasib means that somehow through this woman, maybe because of overcoming the challenges of this woman, I accomplish my purpose. And that's what nasib means. So when a person goes through their life, and right after we're done, please, as a man here who comes every year for many years, is collecting for his family in Israel, he needs our help. If anyone can help on your way out, whatever you can give, please do so. If a person goes through their life pulled with the one if, what ifs, like me thinking about the one player in Brooklyn who could have been a step behind, all you give yourself is anger and frustration. Now I look back and I know why he was one step on the line. Because Hashem didn't want me distracted for the last month. Hashem didn't want me to focus and care about what was going on the last month. So it was his gift to me. It's not about making the right decisions, but making the decision right. It's not about replacing things with what ifs. It's about accepting the fact that this is where Hashem wants me to be, and I re-choose my future. Because like my past, there are things that happen and mistakes that I made, and in the end of the day, I accept them as if they were decrees from God. But going forward, I need to rebuild, I need to re-choose, and I need to strengthen, and I need to focus on what I can build from my life. Because you know what happened in the next Pasuk? And I'll conclude with this. After David HaMelech got up off the ground, it says he went into his room and he consoled his wife. And they conceived. And nine months later, Shalom HaMelech was born. That means when you focus on your future, you create great things. When you stick wallowing in what if, you create a toxic, horrible, dangerous environment. Your nasib is choosing the life you want from this point forward and making the decisions right and making great things out of the gifts and the challenges that you were given. Because ultimately, the past is from God. The future is up to me. Thank you.